everyone. Welcome to episode 286 of F-Stop, Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Irish landscape photographer Norman McCloskey. Norman now owns and operates his own gallery and has published and sold many fine art books. However, his journey to get to this point was arduous and full of interesting bumps in the road. On today's show, we explore this journey and discuss many related topics, so sit back and enjoy the conversation. Before we get started, I just wanted to ask you for a favor. If you're not already supporting the podcast on Patreon, please consider helping out. Only 1% of listeners actually help support the show, and if just 5% support it, I could easily make it a full-time vocation. Patreon is also how we keep the podcast ad-free, and it provides another way for us to connect. Thanks to those of you that already support the show, I appreciate you a lot. And if you can, hit pause, go to patreon.com forward slash f-stop and listen, and pick up the level of support that works for your budget. Thanks. Okay, let's get to this week's show with Norman McCloskey. All right, Norman McCloskey, it's great to have you on the show. Hey, Matt, how are you? It's good to be here. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. I will never turn down the opportunity to to have an Irishman on the podcast. There's a few of us Irish guys knocking about. I believe I'm your second one, so I'm honored. Yeah, I've, before I was really into photography, I actually took a trip to Ireland. and It was one of my favorite trips that I've ever done just because it was such a different experience in terms of being immersed in such a ancient culture. I went to the Aran Islands and oh, lovely. got to see all of the ruins and stuff down there. And that was a, that was just a really great time. Yeah, it's a great country. It's, it's beautifully scenic and very photogenic. But so far, we've stayed off the main kind of workshop radar. There's a couple of guys fixing that. We're not overrun with photographers like Iceland and so on, which is fine with me. It leaves us to the rest of us. But uh, yeah, it's pretty. I'd highly recommend anyone visiting here. Yeah. For people that aren't familiar with you, I would love for you to go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure thing. Yeah. My name is Norman McCloskey. I'm a professional landscape photographer based in the southwest of Ireland. I live in a town called Kenmare. I run a gallery here. I have my wife here with two now nearly teenage kids. And I've been photographing the landscape for 30 years now. I started in 1992, picked up a camera, self-taught myself, really photographed. First thing I photographed was the landscape. Really was taken with the process and wanted to go on and find out more about it. And so I ended up going to art college and studying photography for a couple of years. Came out of that and I worked as an assistant to a commercial photographer for a while and then went on to get a job in a sports photography agency. I stayed there for 18 years, which is a lot longer than I ever thought I would. And a few years into that job, I made my best move, which was, this was in Dublin. I had gone to college in Dublin. So I relocated back to Kerry and based myself out of home here again bought a house, built a big darkroom at the back and started making prints again and having small exhibitions uh, and modest print sales. And it just tipped away at like that. It wasn't going anywhere really, but I was working hard. Until 2008, I had the opportunity to join an Irish expedition to Antarctica for three weeks. And that was an amazing experience, but it had a real big impact on me for two reasons. Firstly, it was the first time I brought two digital bodies with me. Up until that point, I shot 
all my own work on medium format film. And I loved working with digital. I'd balked at the idea of using our agency kind of cameras for my own landscape work. But I actually ended up really loving it, the simplicity of the workflow. And then I was reassured that I it, I didn't have to stray too far from my own ideals, my own kind of workflow and what I did with film. And then secondly, there was a guy on the trip who happened to own one of the larger publishing companies in Ireland. And I bided my time. But over dinner one night with a few drinks in us, I gave my elevator pitch for my book that I had knocking around in my head for a long time. And he uh, he said, that sounds great. You should come and see me sometime when we get back. I waited all of two days when we got back and I rocked up in his office and uh, we had a meeting and I walked out of that meeting with a publishing contract for a landscape photography book, which was really rare back then. I worked on it for three years and when it came out, I actually ended up self-publishing it in the end but that's a long story but it was a huge success all of a sudden i was getting national press pieces i was selling lots of prints i was selling lots of books i was doing talks and all of that kind of stuff and then i started doing exhibitions and then my first commercial art fair came out of that um great time it was really positive and i finally felt everything was taking off and then the negative aspect of it hit me, which was that the agency that I was working with full time, which was my main bread and butter job earning my living. But to that point, it was very positive. It was a hugely, really good working relationship. And they had looked on my landscape work with a little bit of kind of skepticism and kind of thought, oh, bless him. The poor guy likes to go off into fields and mountains and photograph trees and clouds. I didn't take any notice, but all of a sudden my I was being interviewed in the same papers as we were selling our pictures into my book was on the same shelves as there so there was a bit of friction and the working relationship just broke down which was it was very difficult for a couple of years and at that stage I was co-running the agency and I knew my boss inside out and I knew there was no way back once it turns it turns so I felt trapped I was had moved to Kerry I looked out at the window and there was a nice landscape and cows but there wasn't much opportunities for photographers earning the kind of money that I was used to and everything so I had built up a little bit of a kind of a side thing when you're when you move to a small town and you're a photographer you invariably get asked to do little jobs so I was doing them all along more of favors than anything else but it was pocket money I was doing interiors and some product stuff in PR and then I started to do some wedding work of all things I never thought I'd do that even with that I just felt the pressure and I'm sure as many of your listeners who have full-time jobs and want to be full-time photographers feel that pressure of that difficult choice of if I make the jump will I will there be a big difference here and I didn't actually want to change my job I wanted the best of both worlds I had a really good job with time and space but I had to in the end but I didn't know how it was going to work and then one day my wife came home from town all excited she had met a lady that she didn't know but she had done a favor for randomly asked to and this lady had a gift shop in town and she was closing it down and she was looking for someone to rent the space and Lorraine knew of my long-held ambition to have a gallery and she thought oh this is it she came home and told me only to met by a wall of negativity and <laughs> right. out, which was the hallmark of my photography for so long I just didn't back myself and I couldn't imagine how this could possibly work and we were going away for the weekend and she said we'll talk about it in the car and we did we talked about nothing else for about an hour and a half and she couldn't understand why I just wasn't jumping at the chance and eventually she just asked me like do you want to do this or not and I said look ever since I 1994 when I was a young guy I walked into a gallery in Kinsale, which is not far from here, 
and there's a photographer called Giles Norman. He was a landscape photographer and still is. And I said, ever since I walked in there, I, I've never wanted to do anything more. And she said, just do it. Then I was, nah, it's not that easy. And that was a conversation in there. And we went, stopped for lunch a few minutes, not long after. We were in a hotel. The rain was at the counter. I got a table. And then this voice beside me said, is the seat next to you free? Next to me free. And I said, I looked up and it was that photographer. It was that guy, Giles Norman, who I hadn't seen in the flesh since 1994. And I'd never spoken to him. I didn't speak to him that day either. But I just thought, Jesus, how many more prods does the universe have to give me before I actually... So we got out into the car and I just said, okay, I'm doing it. And a couple of days later, I had the keys to the place and I was in and I spent about three weeks turning a tired old gift shop into a a nice little gallery, opened the doors. And about half an hour after I opened, someone came in and bought a framed piece off the wall and I couldn't believe it. I was in shock, but that's how it started. And it just has continued on since then. So that's what I do. And it has led on to some really cool stuff in the last seven and a half years. It's grown every year. I've gotten to meet tons of new people. And what's led me to even talking to you here this evening. So yeah, yeah. that's how I got here. I feel like what you said about the self-doubt and all of that can resonate with so many of us. And I'm just curious, you said there's a wall of negative negativity and i'm just curious for you what was that all about i don't really know a lack of confidence i remember the my very first early photographs and i didn't know whether they were any good and people kept telling me oh these are really good but i couldn't see it and this went on and on even studied like i applied for college and when we got there, there there was like a couple of hundred people there and I, I was this, this guy that had these, all these pictures of trees and mountains. And then there was people there who had portraiture portfolios and everything. And it was I knew it wasn't a landscape photography course. It was far from it. But even when I got in, I still didn't believe I got in. I just thought there must be a mistake or something. And then all through college, I did well. And I used to, after when I was going around to knocking on doors, looking for work, and I showed my portfolio to, to photographers, and if they said, they didn't have something, but they said, look, these are really good. You should be exhibiting that. And I just thought, I, no, they're just being nice and polite. I don't know where it came from. I It took me an awful long time. And I think it was just something inherent in me. It was my background. And I can talk a little bit about that later. But it took me a long time to actually really build that up. And even with the gallery, it took a good two years before I really began to see Oh, actually, people aren't just stumbling in here by mistake, thinking thinking they're somewhere else. It's, they're actually are really thinking about this stuff and they're coming back. I think we all have it within, our, within ourselves a little bit. And I actually have seen people who are way overconfident. I've gone to art shows and exhibited art shows where people are showing stuff that I'm thinking... I don't know, you might want to rethink that one. But so I don't know how that works really. And now I'm I still have a I still have a real there's an element of it there in that I'm very happy to stay within my own space and I've really made peace with that. I, I'm not going to be the international landscape photographer of the year. I'm not gonna, you know, blow everyone else out of the water. I'm just gonna keep doing my thing and produce nice work, make nice books and stay within that level. It's up to everyone else then to tell you whether you're whether you're any good or not. But the day I start believing it, I don't know. It's a strange thing. But keeps you on edge. For me yeah. it's meant that it's taken me thirty years to get here. <laughs> Some guys get her in three, but that's okay as well. Everything 
happen for a reason. I think there's something comforting and reassuring about sticking to what being true to yourself and knowing what your limitations are, but then also believing in what it is you're producing that you think is at least decent. I I constantly am seeing people chase the greatest, latest, greatest trend, either through editing or, oh, there's a new platform and we got to go jump on that new platform. And if I don't jump on that new platform, I'm going to miss out and I'm not going to, no one's going to know who I am. And it's, I think there's so much wasted energy that goes into that type of thinking. And I think we all fall prey to that to some degree or another as well. I know I have, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in kind of what you're describing in terms of just sticking to what you know you're good at. Yeah. If you look at any of the really great photographers, the guys who've made it and are famous, they're, they're not trying to be all things to everyone. They've found something that works for them and they've worked hard at it. And it's true to them as artists. And that's how you that's how they've gone on and been successful. And They've had great results and there's a real integrity to their work. And there's a lot to be said for that. I'm doing that on any scale, as long as you're staying true to yourself. And if that includes a bit of self-doubt, then there's nothing wrong with that. It's good for the checks and balances and it keeps your ego in, in control. I would be my own harshest critic. And I always have been. And I, I actually reap the benefits of that when I open the doors of the gallery and Look, the gallery was finished for two days. I was pacing around the place in there, sweeping the floor 10 times before I had the courage to just go and take the paper off the windows and turn the sign over. I was so nervous. But before I did, I looked around at all the work on the walls and I thought, yeah, this is good enough. And and that was a really nice feeling. I thought, okay, it's taken long enough. This is of a level that I'm personally really happy with. There was two in there that I decided, no, okay, and I pulled them. And I still do that to this day. It's I'd be very tough. My wife would see images on screen that I just happened to be either doing a test printer or something. She'd say, oh, my God, I love that. Print it for the gallery. And I'd go, no, it's no, that's not it yet. And a lot of people can't understand that. And if you saw my reject folder, you'd think like there was something wrong with me. But... I think being your own toughest critic, and it's the one piece of advice that I give everyone all the time, be selective, be tough, only show your best work. It does mean it takes a little bit longer to get there, but that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about your relationship with the natural landscape and how that's impacted your life. Oh, wow. Okay. It's been huge. It's been immense. Probably, I don't know, I could talk about it all day long, I think. I shudder to think really what my life would be like had I not picked up a camera and began photographing the landscape and followed that path that, you know, was laid out for me that I didn't realize was there, but I've been on ever since. I grew up in a working class housing estate in Limerick City, which is about two hours north of here. And for the first part of my life, it was just marked out by the fact that I excelled at mediocrity. I was, I wasn't marked out for anything. I was the youngest of six kids. And when I was about five, my father had walked out the door and kind of threw an emotional grenade and behind him and lives were shattered as a result academically I didn't really school wasn't important I wasn't under any pressure I was useless at every sport imaginable and I had no discernible talent and we had no money so the future was really bright so I had reached the point of 21 and I had absolutely no direction in life at all I had no ambition I didn't really know what was ahead of me until I picked up a camera put a roll of film into it and That very first roll of film that I shot literally changed my life. I can still remember getting the little 5x7 end prints back from the lab four or five days later, 
sitting in a cafe in Kenmare, just constantly coming through them. And from that point, I think I dared to dream, not so much about becoming a photographer, like that wasn't even in the scripts or in imaginary, but more about just the fact that for the first time in my life, I was going to be, I could create something. I could actually maybe have something that was mine. And it, it was really important. And I, I went with that and I look back and I, I realized how lost I was. E- even for a long time after discovering photography, maybe into my 30s, I was really drifting. I was carrying around all this huge amount of baggage from my early part of my life and not processing it at all. And uh, But suddenly I had this kind of ready-made pressure release system which involved grabbing my tripod grabbing my camera bag and heading off into the landscape and slowly working through all this stuff and becoming a little bit more of a balanced person a bit more calmer I realized then that this was having a real positive impact in my life as I've alluded to earlier it was the results for me photographically took an awful long time to actually happen But the benefits were there from day one. And this idea of just working in the landscape, but then having this creative process going on at the same time, it's just one of the most fantastic things really out there. And for me, it was, it really helped me. I began to know that for sure when my wife, if I hadn't been out in the landscape for a while, or if we were away and she just said, you know what you need to do? You just need to get your camera off you go, head off for a day. And that was her way of saying, just stop being annoying or stop being an asshole. (laughs) And I used to come back like this Zen-like guy who was then totally reset. And she was right, which is great. And we hear a lot about, there's a lot of discussion in the last few years. Certainly I see it anyway, mental health aspects with landscape photography and everything. And I thought I was the only one that thought of it in those terms and I've been I count myself extremely fortunate to have had a very good balanced health check on that front but it's because it's I've had this 30 years of free self-therapy this wonderful cathartic therapeutic process which if you can't sort out your issues when you're spending all day on your own out in the landscape standing in bogs or up in mountainsides and still happy then you know you're never going to do it so it's had a massive impact then and it's given me this this wonderful unthought of gift which is a real sense of identity which as i said earlier on and at some one point in my life i just had no idea who i was going to be where i came from nothing made any sense but now the fact that I can identify as a landscape photographer and just those two words just encapsulate everything that I just am completely happy with it to me it says my relationship with nature but also a creative output so yeah it's been pretty it's been pretty impactful on my life and all, all for the good yeah and and in hindsight's 2020 but I'm curious early on in that process of self-discovery were you aware or cognizant of the positive impacts that it was having on your ability to process some of that baggage? No, not really. This is only something that I've really become aware of in recent years. And quite deliberately, it comes with maturity and stuff. And I think finally making sense of a lot of stuff. There's a lot, there was a lot of unreserved, unresolved issues. My my father died and I'd never met him a- again. And that kind of thing could just wreck someone's head. But with me, I've just made peace with it a long time ago. And then I had some very strange 
kind of discoveries in that I, I found out later in life that he was an avid photographer oh. and just I didn't I've di- I've discovered a lot of pictures after my mom passed away and my there's a camera in my father's hand in almost every single picture and that's a kind of a freaky thing because I never photography was never a conscious thing in my head so there's little bits like that kind of tell me when I'm out there and when I'm thinking about things and I, it's not that I'm always thinking about things but yeah it the opportunity to is or does arise for it it's little things like that just tell me yeah this is what you're meant to do you're on the right path it's there's a reason why you're here there's a reason why you don't mind being frozen cold and soaking wet for the last 10 hours and you're still enjoying it so it wasn't it but but in in recent years and we can probably talk about that a bit later in relation to book projects and so on yeah it's become a conscious thing that, that i've been more aware of and very happy to explore and come to terms with it and realize that I'm very fortunate. Nice. Maybe that's a good segue to talk about kind of some of what drives you. And I'd be curious if you could tell us why you make photographs. Why? Yeah, that, that's the question, really. And I'm glad you asked it because it, it's the one question that I've been, I've done a, quite a few interviews and people would send you questions in advance. And there was one particular one that Every question started with how, when, who, what. And I did think at the time, why does no one ever ask why? Which I feel is the most important question. Not necessarily for people to hear the answer, but photographers to ask themselves. And I think the more people really understood their own motives and their motivation for doing what they do, I think probably the more clarity and integrity you'd probably get in people's work and for me this could turn into a very long and personal answer but it the answer was quite intensely personal and it it came about by exactly what i was saying just earlier about this whole process of a bit of introspective thought when i was making my book project bearer and i really did throughout that whole three years examine my relationship with the landscape and how I worked and what kind of photographer I really wanted to be. And that, that took shape throughout that book. Then I, when I was beginning Kingdom, which is my book that I'm just finalizing at the moment, I realized that big question hadn't been answered and I hadn't asked it of myself. And the answer came to me in a, might sound a bit dramatic, but I was out on a shoot one morning and it was an early morning shoot that had turned into an unmitigated disaster. I had misjudged my parking spot so I had to walk half an hour to the start of the trail then the trail wasn't a trail it was a bog and I sank up to my waist within minutes and then I had to trudge through this bog and then climb this mountain to try and get to the top I was it was a disaster and I got to the top and the light was already up and it was gone and I just had to turn around and retrace that whole process having not even taken the camera out of the bag and this, that's a regular thing for me. There's many mornings where it doesn't work. But as I was walking along the road back to the car, the sun was fully up now, so it was casting a shadow. And I saw this figure of my shadow bounding along. And then I was whistling. And I actually actually said to myself, what have you got to be so happy about? I've just had the worst morning. And I stopped and I thought about it for a second. And I don't know what happened. It's the closest thing to an epiphany that I've ever had. I got this intense few moments of this incredible recollection and awareness and memory where I was taken back to about 14 or so. And I was, as a time when I was a kid, I used to do, when we were on holidays, home life was very messy and chaotic and tumultuous at times. And uh, But when we went on holidays, that could be amplified because we were all crammed into a small caravan. And I used to 
just I took to having these huge long walks in the sand dunes for hours and hours. They wouldn't know where I was. And it was more seeking solace and kind of bit of calmness and just chilling out. And But also it was my first time really connecting with nature. I hadn't, I'd forgotten about these, but in that moment, I just had re- remembered this intensely. And I realized there was a direct line between that 14 year old kid and this older photographer. And this is what I've been doing all this time. And this is why I don't mind spending the last 30 years, the vast majority of the, my time on my, by myself. In fact, I always photograph by myself. And it was, I don't know what happened. It was incredible. It literally knocked me off my feet. I sat down on the side of the road and I had tears coming out of my and I just didn't know what was going on and I pulled myself together and I walked on and I thought wow that was weird and I thought that that's the kind of thing that you'd pay a hundred dollars an hour for 10 years to get a breakthrough with a therapist and I thought okay I, I get it now I get the full picture and I understood where I was coming from I understood a little bit more about why I'm so driven to do this thing and it is it's that continuation of seeking out that that peace and calm that that solid that solace that I get out of nature. Some people can live without it, but I just don't seem to be able to. I just seem to really need to make that connection. And the fact that I've been doing it for so long for very different reasons when I was younger and continue to do it now, you know, it just seems to be quite important for me. I know that's a bit of an odd answer. I could have said, you know, because I don't know how to do anything else. But I think really it's not necessarily why I do it, but it's certainly what drives me to do it. And it's what driven me in all the barren years when I felt this was going nowhere. There was something calling me out the whole time to just do this. And yeah, now I have real purpose for my work. But for a long time, I didn't. But I still put the same amount of effort into it. I'm curious. Yeah. If, have you noticed any shift in your images before that epiphany and after that epiphany, or has it all been more of a seamless transition? No, I think that hasn't affected anything. I think through 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 the process of making my book Bera, I really decided the type of imagery that I wanted to make. And to be honest with you, it's the type of images I always made, even going back to college days, because I went to art college and I wanted to be a landscape photographer and that was quite frowned on. So instead I had to go out and make these arty landscape pictures. And they were a bit different, but I actually really liked it. And I've always made these images, but they've never had a place in anything. And my first book was very different. It was done for a different audience. But Bera was done purely from, and I had the luxury of having a successful gallery and knowing that I didn't have to appease a certain market sector anymore. And that was just the most liberating thing. So I knew I was on the right path with that book and where I was going and the type of images just quieter, simple images. They weren't going to break the internet, but collectively in a book, they came together and made something. So I don't think, no, it hasn't affected anything materially or it hasn't affected anything the way I've... It's just nice to know because I never really knew. I never knew. Yeah, it was just very strange to make that connection. And I look, I'm not a religious person and my spirituality is a mishmash of all sorts of things. But I just thought there was something quite powerful in making such a strong connection to a time. And it seemed like I was that same guy. Yeah, we've started to touch on this a little bit, but I'd be curious to hear you talk about how the bookmaking process has played an integral role in your photography journey. Yeah, it's been hugely influential. For the last 12 years, I have all my work has been based around book projects. Obviously, my first book, Parklight, which was on Killarney National Park, that really gave me my, my, my big break. Prior to that, the internet had 
been there, but social media had started to happen. And all of a sudden, I, I saw all these other landscape photographers. There was quite a, there was a long time when I thought I was the only one in Ireland. But then there was all <laughs> these other guys who, you know, who had picked up the baton and ran with it a lot faster than I was. So I came out of nowhere with this book and no one had ever really heard of me, but it led on to great things. The books have really propelled me in, in, in my journey and what I've done, but <clears throat> they're a wonderful way to work. I just love the fact that you can have such a focus excused upon on a body of work. I can just literally decide, okay, I'm, I'm going to start a book on X and then that's it. I know for the next three years that in 95% of what I'm going to do for the next three years is going to be around that book. All my books have been geographically based, as in they're about an area. And that's really nice because you get to spend year one randomly exploring it, even though most of them are places that I've already known. But you go back and start re-photographing it. And then kind of year two, you start finessing and finding out what is it about this area that I like to go and photograph. And I would go a little bit deeper um and it, it's a really nice way of working it's a very thoughtful and slow way of working and there's zero pressure i don't i never feel any pressure with a bookmaking project because i i either think i'll go back and rephotograph it which i rarely end up i always run out of time but that's okay and every day counts everything you do when you're working on a book project certainly for me actually counts so if i go out and i go to a location and it doesn't work i don't get annoyed or i don't feel it's a waste of time i just put it down to informing the process of making the next image there i'll use the drive for something else and i'll think about different aspects of it and the other nice thing about it for me is that you have you have these images. I usually don't start editing until about halfway through now. I would mark some images as in three or four stars or something like that. But there could easily be a two-star image that ends up making it in the book because in the final edit, it just goes with something else. There's a pairing there that really, there's a meaningful pairing or there's something graphically interesting about both of them. So nothing is discounted until the final edit. And I really like that idea as well. The fact that all these small, quieter images, which wouldn't necessarily make anything too exciting on their own, can all go and contribute to an overall picture of the kind of narrative that I want to put in, in a book. And I really like that. I love photo books anyway. I'm Unfortunately, I'm obsessed with them and it's a costly thing, but it's how I discovered photography in 1992. And there was no internet. I lived in a town in the library that didn't have a single photo book in the library. And my girlfriend at the time got me an Ansel Adams portfolio book for my birthday. And that was my most treasured possession. It was the first thing that was packed when I moved. It was the first thing that came out. And ever since then, it's how I've explored photography through books. I, I don't get to see enough exhibitions, but photo books is where I love to really discover photography and really see it, appreciate it. So it's just a really, it's a nice way of working. I have the next three books in my head laid out in front of me in this series. That's 15 years of my life ahead already accounted for. And that might sound daunting to some people, but actually it's hugely comforting to me. It's thinking, yeah, I know what I'm doing now. And I'm in no rush and hopefully I'll be well enough and fit enough and still around to to see it all through and then at the end of it i might have a nice series of books it, i don't want to be presumptive of here but that's the plan and i just i can see that's how i'm going to work rather than trying to dash around the world and make these one-off epic images that i could struggle to make 
them relate to each other. I just, I'm quite happy working on a series of images and keep going that way. Yeah, I think what I, I was lucky enough to get a copy of your book, Bera, which is behind me on my little, my book collection here. And it has a very personal feel to it. And just parenthetically, my wife really likes it too, by the way. Okay. It just has, I don't know, there's something about it that's just very clean and it's not epic in your face. It, everything flows together in a smooth way. And I think to your point, what I like about book projects like that is that it provides a place for images that might not blow your socks off on the internet to have a yeah. place to have a voice yeah. and to help tell a story about a place or to help convey something personal from the artist that perhaps is missing from what we see typically on Instagram or whatever. And I really like that about books because I find that other approach to photography, to everything just starts to look the same. It's very homogenous. Everyone's yeah. it feels like everyone's just seeking attention. Yeah. It, I mean, that's that kind of constant chase of the epic image and the dramatic. Yeah. I don't know. It, it does. It, I just see people dashing around the place and there's probably guys frantically trying to get airline tickets to Iceland because there's been another eruption there at the, the moment. I'm in a Discord channel and half the people are like, I'm looking at tickets right now. And I'm just like, yeah. oh my gosh, guys, come on. I know. I, I just don't know. I'm very reticent to be critical of any kind of anyone's approach to photography and so on. Sure. I, I just don't understand it. And I live, Ireland is easy enough to get around. And there's some of the real honeypot locations and some of these epic photographs that everyone's doing and i've neither not been there and have no interest in ever being there and people ask me all the time oh you have nothing here of uh, the giant's causeway and i go yeah i'm never going to have the giant's causeway i have no interest in photographing it ever I, there's nothing i could add to it it doesn't mean anything to me it's not related to any of my work and sometimes i can people might interpret that as being a bit dismissive or arrogant but I just, I'm staying true to what really interests me. Where I work compared to a lot of other photographers is basically the back of a postage stamp. And it's a very small, confined area. And maybe the wet, the rest of the West Coast of Ireland, which gives me a, a bit of scope. But I just have a real connection to it. I just really feel that I that this place means something to me. Still haven't found out exactly what that is. And I find it hard to muster. Now, in saying that, there are a couple of places I do want to go. And I have been really intrigued by the type of photography that Bruce Percy does and Murray Fredericks and going into nothingness and photographing. And I've always wanted to do that because more so out of to go to somewhere completely different than where I regularly photograph, which is this chaotic, rugged, mad landscape. And that's why sometimes I actually seek out very minimal scenes in in that chaos if I can. I work a lot in bogs and fields of grass and stuff like that. And I'm, I'm drawn to that. And I would go there and photograph it. And if it if I feel a, an honest connection and if I feel really that, yeah, I've made a connection with that landscape and I can do something different, then the work might ever be shown. If it doesn't, it will sit alongside most of my other travel work, which no one ever sees. But yeah, uh, I, mean, I can appreciate both approaches. I do both styles myself. I've definitely been to plenty of quote unquote iconic locations and scenes all over the US. What I've found, at least for myself, is that the approach that you're describing, oftentimes those images may not speak to a larger audience very well. 
but they say much more about you as a person and as a photographer and as an artist. Whereas I think if you have this, if you're, you have the next epic Iceland volcano image and 75 other people also have a very similar photograph of that same volcano. That was probably a very exciting thing to photograph and it was fun and it was dynamic and it was a blast and it was probably incredibly just powerful and awesome to witness that. But I think it's really hard to say something with that type of work. Yeah. And half the time, the minute someone has scrolled past your picture or seen it on Instagram and it could have 2,000 or 20,000 likes, they've forgotten your name within seconds. It doesn't really say, it doesn't say much about you as a person. That's what I always look for. It's one of the first things I look for in someone's work. Do I see the photographer in this? Do I see a thought process? Do I, is this person expressing themselves or are they just rehashing another trope, another meme type photography that this kind of cliched view? And what does that say about anyone? Does it, it says, yeah, you're technically adept at doing this and you were there, but it, those kind of scenes can offer very limited insight into them as artists. Now, you don't have to do that. Totally. That's just my that's my approach. Not everyone has to say there's a lot of people out there who just simply like making these images, sharing them, getting the likes, and that's fine. But if you, for meaningful work and so on, and the work that I'm type of, the work that I'm interested in is I really want to, if I can see an artist behind it, if I can see a person behind the image and a bit of a thought process, then suddenly it becomes a lot more interesting to me. I like the way you put that because it's not meant to like take a crap on that type of work. Like it's just not the same. It's different. Yeah. There's a place for everything. And the field, the scope of landscape photography now is, is huge. There's a lot of stuff in there that I just, I have no interest in, but there's a lot of really cool stuff, which unfortunately you don't get to see enough of. It doesn't get the attention. It's drowned out by all this noisy stuff. And I, I would, I'd like to see more photographers have a balance. I'd love the guys who produce this epic stuff to also then produce some more introspective work. Back in the old days, you had people's websites and any photographer worth their salt had a section on his website called personal. And in there, that was a very direct and obvious thing to say to art directors and whatever that look, this is the kind of stuff I really like. And that was always the interesting side of everyone's. So you had guys who photographed cars and then in their personal section, you'd have this incredible street photography projects and stuff. And that's how people gave themselves a bit of credibility. And that's how they were, they stood out from the crowd and they were interesting. And unfortunately you get guys who get hooked into creating these epic images. And then that just, they have to feed the monster and just they have to keep on doing that. And it's every now and again, we've all tried it to just pr- throw up something on Instagram or something that we just like, but we know will bomb. And it does. But you have to either go, I expected that and you're going to keep doing it. Or someone may, might be really afraid of that and go, I'm not doing that again. It's back to the volcano as we go. So it's interesting, as I said, is it an approach for everyone in it really? Well, and I think it kind of goes back to what we were saying in terms of being true to yourself and thinking about your why 
and why you make images and if really your why is to get likes and comments and feed your ego and whatever that's fine whatever but that's what it is maybe this is a kind of a related question to all of what we're discussing and you're as a full-time photographer you're making living through prints in your gallery and on your books and I'm curious how that reality has played a role in the way that you engage with photography in the field meaning has that commercial aspect influenced you at all? No is the simple answer. I've been very mindful of it, of that. Look, I had a, I, it took me a long time to get to this point, but it wasn't as if I wasn't thinking about it for 20 years. So I had a long time of developing and fine-tuning the process of me going out into the landscape and making images. And that became, that hasn't actually changed much since day one. It really hasn't. I haven't actually, I haven't suddenly become this super organized photographer. I'm very chaotic at times. Like at, sometimes I just, I wake up late and look out the window and run out the door and I haven't done my bag packed from the night before and so on. That's how I was when I started. I haven't really kind of changed that much. I was always mindful. I used to console myself in the years of pining to be a full-time landscape photographer I used to tell myself there was an old adage that the day you start doing whatever you like as a hobby for a living, you'll stop enjoying it. And I used to console myself with that. But actually, it, it is, hasn't happened to me at all. And because I had such a long time of making images without any results, but that way of working has been entrenched in me. And as I said, when I opened the gallery, I was mindful of that. I really was. I didn't want to fall down the trap of a shooting. To, like I, I literally could go out and I could spend maybe two or three weeks. I could go up the west of Ireland. I could go onto the Iron Islands and I could photograph donkeys leaning over walls. I could photograph woolly sheep up at the tops of mountains, which I meet all the time. And I could go and do rainbows over castles. And I would be set for life. I would, I guarantee you, I would send tens, if not hundreds of thousands of euros of those images. But then I'd have completely sold out. And that wouldn't be me at all. And I wouldn't be happy. And it's, I really struggle to put the one image of a castle I have in the gallery at times. It's one of those ones that I just go, and everyone says, oh, but it's a nice image of a castle. <laughs> I'm gone. Yeah. So it goes in in the summer and it goes out for the rest of the season when the tourists are gone. And it's a limited edition. It's nearly sold out now. It'll be gone soon. So I don't really do that at all. And because I've worked in the bookmaking sphere as well, that has informed my selection of images and it has kept it quite narrow, actually. But a couple of times a year, I do, for a bit of variety and a bit of relief, I do go and maybe pick a subject and I'll just go and photograph it. And it won't necessarily be related to a project I'm doing. And a couple of weeks ago, I went out to the Fastnet Lighthouse, which is this iconic lighthouse out you know, about five miles out into the Atlantic off the south coast. And friends brought me out there, still nighttime, so we were waiting around for dawn. And it was spectacular. It was amazing. And it's a shot I'd wanted to do for a long time. And the conditions were probably a bit too nice. They were a bit too chocolate boxy for me. But it was still pretty cool. And I made some images and I posted them online. I haven't done them on the gallery yet, or uh, sorry, online yet. But already, the minute I posted them online, I started getting messages. How much of these prints and stuff. So the prints are already selling. Now, I didn't go out there with the intention of doing that. And when I was there in the process of making the images, you're not, I'm not thinking of, oh, if I just do it this way, I'll sell more. And 
I never ever think. In fact, I don't think about the gallery at all when I'm out. It's a very different mindset that I'm in. Some days I come back and I wonder, Jesus, what did I think about all day? I just don't know sometimes. I completely just either tune out or tune in or something. So it's only if I get a phone call relating to the gallery that it will come into my conscious thoughts. But so yeah, I don't shoot to sell. It it is it's a nice side effect of some days you're out and you come back and you know that you've got an image and you think yeah at some point that's probably one that i'll print and put in the gallery and that's pretty cool that's paid for that two days or whatever but i think you'd be very different if you started to think in terms of what you're going to do in terms of sales certainly i've i certainly i've i've had one image that has been incredibly successful and it's been the kind of bedrock of my gallery sales for a few years quite a few years but it was an accident. It was a project that I thought no one would even understand. or and I spent a long time working on it. And in fact, it wasn't even in the original connection of the images that I showed in the gallery. And one day I put it up and literally I had just hung it. And a guy walked in and bought one within five or ten minutes. And I can't keep it on the wall. It's, it's just keep selling and selling. And I I didn't think about that in terms of making that image to sell. It was just a pretty cool project I was working on. So I I count myself quite lucky in that. And that's how I was ingrained in me, that you do it for yourself first. Anything else after that is a bonus. I love that. On the flip side of that, do you ever find that the business side of photography is something that keeps you motivated? Or are there things about it that get in the way of you? pursuing what you want to be doing in the field? Oh, definitely both. In the first couple of years of running the gallery, I really struggled. I really struggled with the time that you need to put into a business like that and how much you're tied to it if you want it to work. And I just, I couldn't really understand. I thought I'd made a terrible mistake because I'd be there on a spring afternoon and I'd see this incredible light. And the way, my gallery is in the town, but I know it so well that I just can look at the rooftops and I can see this incredible light hitting these chimneys and stuff and I go oh man it's all happening out there and I'm standing here and it was that was really difficult to come to terms with Uh, early mornings you'd want to go out but then you realize oh I gotta go and print and frame and so on but then I don't know I I started to get a little bit more organized and I actually just made peace with that I was getting very frustrated and my wife would say like, you wanted to do this. And I go, I know, but I want, I want it all. And I realized pretty soon on that it was going to be a long time before we're ever going to have kind of staff and and that kind of thing. So it was pretty much all me, but I began to make peace with it. And I realized that, look, the thing you're giving out about it is the thing you wanted to do for so long. You're lucky to be in that position. And so now, and then of course, I realized that I close the gallery for three months of the year. So we close January, February, March. And that's a great, the first year I did that was quite scary, but now it's, there's a, there's a, a method in it and there's a residual income that comes in from print sales online and stuff like that. So we're very comfortable doing it. So I'm like a child at the end of school term. I just cannot wait for the 1st of January and I'm gone. I'm out there. So I spend the next three months in, in my playground going out and just photographing most days when I can. And I tell myself at, at that point that this is my time. You make the most of these three months because the rest of the year can be pretty hectic. And 
Then on the flip side of that, yeah, it motivates me absolutely because the success of the gallery is a really motivating thing because it just gives me, I just feel, I just feel that everything is working for a reason and it's a really nice feeling. I'm, as I'm talking to you now at the beginning of August, it's our busiest time. I'm in my studio here, which I moved home at six months before COVID hit and I was worried about doing that because I have a tendency to overwork and I never stop working. I could be in here at 11 o'clock at night printing and so on. But actually, it's been a total gift. So, you know, I'm here and I'm doing that and you're having very busy days. There can be quite long days. I'm going to go and if it wasn't working, I wouldn't be here doing this. So you do, you, you make peace. That motivates you on to do it. And you realize that the gallery is providing you with all the opportunities that you've ever wanted if I wanted to in the morning do a project in Bolivia which I would love to do I have a business that would pay for that and that is pretty amazing and so there's a motivation there to keep that going because it's a pretty it's a, it's the life I dreamed of and so you know what more motivation would you need really as I said earlier it doesn't exist it change materially anything I do in the field or it doesn't make me get up earlier or stay out later but it does make the tough days a lot easier Brilliant. We're, we're winding down and I've got a couple more questions for you. You had previously worked in a sports agency and I'm curious if that approach to f making images had any impact on how you make landscape work. It did. And I hope none of my former colleagues are listening to this because it, it made me never want to make sports photographs. And I didn't actually work as a sports photographer for the agency. I was there 18 years. I did some photography for them. But I'll be honest with you, I, I went in there and there was a clear path to becoming a sports photographer very quickly. After about two weeks of working on the picture desk, I thought there could be nothing worse. I saw the lack of creative control. I saw the pressure these guys were under. It was just nuts. And for some reason, it had zero interest for me. And actually, it did propel me to want to create, to do something more creative. There was a couple of photographers in the agency over the years and I like to think that I had a bit of input in making us a bit more creative thinking and pushing the boundaries a little bit. But I really saw that they struggled and they wanted to do something far more creative as well. And they went on to do other stuff. And I thought, yeah, that's the right path. And there was other guys who just stay there and they're just, it's like Groundhog Day. Uh, they just do the same thing week in, week out, year in, year out. It's just a different team. It's a different jersey someone else holding the cup and that's it and i could never have done that now i had 18 fantastic years in a job that gave me a, an amazing standard of living it allowed me to travel and i learned the photography business inside out huge amount of experience and that all fed into when i finally was running my own business i i literally hit the ground running i i, I just i knew at it gained so much experience in dealing with not just the public which I'd had before and I worked in hospitality but shares and just how to sell photography and so on was hugely beneficial. I was very grateful that I had the space and the time when I was doing that job to keep working away on my own work. I was also able to buy a ton of equipment through the agency through the job and do lots of cool stuff and as I said I got to travel a huge amount and everything but in terms of, yeah, that type of photography, I was the guy when they wanted something photographed from an airplane, I put my hand up when we wanted a golf course photographed. I says, I'll do that. And the times that I went to really amazing games and matches, I was just too interested in watching the game. So I was, I would have made a hopeless sports photographer, really. I just get too carried away with the emotion of it. Yeah, it was still, it was a good grounding opportunity. It was a great job. 
quite difficult when I left it, but it really set me on a good path. Brilliant. Almost to the end here, I'd love for you to tell us about your next book, which I believe you've titled Kingdom. Yeah, so Kingdom is, it's a follow-on from Vera in that it's a monograph of a place. Now, Kingdom is particularly related to, specifically related to the county of Kerry, which is my adopted county, having grown up in the city. In Ireland, all the counties have names, like nicknames, but they they go back a, a long way. And Kerry is known as the Kingdom. So it's really an homage to this wonderful place that has given me so much after 30 years of photographing. It was the next logical one on from Vera, to be honest with you. So I have gone back and revisited all these familiar landscapes that I know so well and I've photographed for years and years. But I've now done it in the style of the photographer that I am now because I've definitely changed and grown and matured as a photographer, especially through the process of making previous books and having the gallery and just growing and having the courage and the resources to actually see through my own vision and not necessarily make a book that has to hit a certain marketplace. So it's been really enjoyable. It was only supposed to be a two-year project, then COVID turned it into a four-year project, which is a real gift. I'm so glad that I took those extra couple of years. It's actually going to be very similar to Bera in that we're not going to go do anything radically different in the design and keeping the physical dimensions and everything the same. And I'm going to use the same paper. I really like the idea of a kind of a continuity of certain aspects in a series of books that I'm going to do. And I'm really excited about it. We're in the final edit stage at the moment, and I'm doing some work with a really great guy called Eddie Eframs, who is a fantastic book designer, and he works on books in the UK at the moment. And he's helping me with the final image selection. I'm really excited to have Paul Wakefield, who's going to write the forward to it. And yeah, I hope to have it out for pre-orders. It should go up on my new website, which is launching in September, which is already next month. And I hope to open it up for pre-orders towards the end of se September. And yeah, if perfect. it's interested. That's perfect timing because this episode won't be live until October 10th. Oh, okay. That's great. Good stuff. Hopefully I'll have the pressures on so to finish the website and everything. But yeah, so if anyone is interested, please do check it out. We ship the book all over the world and I'm always happy to sign it and dedicate books and stuff like that. So do check it out. Brilliant. All right. Well, one, one more final question before we get to the recommendation part. You had mentioned to me that you're a fan of what we're trying to do with the Natural Landscape Photography Awards. And I was just curious if you could explain why you feel the way you do. Oh, yeah. When I saw that competition and when I read about it, it just warmed my heart. I was so glad to see it. And when I drilled into it, I thought it should be and could be one of the most important things to happen in landscape photography for quite a while. And I really feel strongly about that because I had grown quite weary and dispirited about where landscape photography was and the position it was, especially I think it was it launched around the time of that whole ridiculous fever of nfts which at that point i was just beginning to lose the will to live really when i saw that was going on but you know only recently and i have to say i was quite naive when i when it came to the amount of manipulation and when it came to the amount of editing that people were doing on their images i had no idea really that there was that level of stuff going on i was following these guys on instagram and stuff and always wondered jesus how did they get that what camera are they using and then of course discovered these ideas of focal blending and focus stacking and 
time blending, whatever the hell that is. I still don't know what that is. And I always looked at the Astro guys and I knew that they were composites. It was ridiculous looking. When I saw these pictures of the Milky Way over the cliffs of Moher, I just thought that's something that no one's ever seen. And, and that was fine because I suppose all photographers know that they're composites. But it's the guys who were stretching mountains and doing all this kind of stuff that I just didn't really understand. And I then I realized that it's endemic. You know, there were guys who I thought were just really talented and dedicated, but they were cooking these images up in Photoshop. And I actually, I, I was quite depressed when I discovered that because I do the absolute minimum on my images. And I'm not trying to be a purist or anything. I just actually never felt the need to move on that much from my rudimentary darkroom skills i wasn't a great printer but i knew what i wanted and uh, and i'm very aware of what can be done and the, the endless possibilities that you can do in photoshop and so on so when i saw you guys launch that and i'd be well aware of the great stuff that tim parkin does and on landscape i love i've longtime subscriber to that and i really like it and they've featured my work in the past and alex nail is a perfect fit for it because he's a really forthright type of guy and we need those guys but don't ever shy away from that and uh, i just thought yeah and i really just and the other thing i was getting a bit dispirited by was the actual the landscape of competitions in photography there seemed to be a new one coming out every week. I'm not a competition photographer, really. I would enter the International Landscape Photography Awards, usually around with some images from a book project. And I've entered my books in it, and they've done okay. And that's just a nice thing to help the promotion of a book. But other than that, I wouldn't have a, a snowball's chance of hell of ever competing in, in a competition. And it's not my thing anyway. I don't know. I'm a bit too cynical on it. But when I saw you guys, I thought you're coming at it at the such good intentions, at the right thing. And it, it if it just nudged a few more photographers to just ease back on those sliders and hold off on dropping in different skies or whatever and seeing what they have to work with in order to in order to succeed in making more images with just a bit more simplicity and integrity. I think that'd be great. And I really hope it's a huge success. I hope it stays around and I hope it becomes the competition to win. That's um, our goal for sure. <laughs> yeah, I really do. And look, I entered, I entered really just to support it. I had absolutely no illusions of ever doing any, anything well in it. And still I was struck by the level of entries and, and the images that were in it. And I'm still scratching my head wondering how some of them were made. And if they're done without any real trickery, then that's just a credit to all the photographers who made this work so yeah i hope it's a real success and i hope it continues to be and as i said in my book it's definitely the one it's the one to win it's the one i'd be looking out for thank you appreciate that and i didn't pay you to say any of that so i appreciate no uh, <laughs> no i hope yeah if it came across that strong it's just that's just how i that's just how i feel about it and i yeah cool. i won't say anymore in case people are getting suspicious yeah no lastly would love to hear who you would recommend for the podcast? Who are some people that our listeners need to learn more about? Okay, I have a few that I have in mind. And having listened to your podcast, the ones I enjoy the most are guys who can, they're the deeper thinkers in photography. So one we had already discussed would be Joe Cornish. Is I just You could just listen to him all day. I just think he's just one of the most eloquent and informed and intelligent speakers in photography. And as I said, there isn't a wasted word. Another really interesting guy is Paul Wakefield, who I've mentioned is writing um, the forward to my book. And he's just an incredibly vastly experienced photographer. And he's had such a very long career as a commercial photographer. 
but is one of the finest landscape photographers in the world. He's just fantastic. And he's a really good speaker and a gentleman. So he'd be a good guy. And to give a shout out to a couple of my countrymen, I have a good friend, Peter Gordon, who is a really good guy. He's making a great success out of that difficult thing of being an artist and also running a very busy workshop business as well. And there's another Irish photographer, although he's based in London, and he's doing really some really incredible work in, in producing these exquisite books, and that's David McGee. And he's a really interesting character because his work is a bit like mine for a long time, kind of unsung, but is just there in these incredibly beautiful, exquisite books. So there's a few I could mention many more. You've already spoken to quite a few of my people that I would listen to all day long. If you can get Joel Merowitz, actually, I really enjoyed your, I listened to it the other day, the, the episode you did with Hans Strand and the other chap who was talking to him. And I was actually cutting the lawn, listening to it. <laughs> noise cancelling headphones and i just thought yeah i'm going to tell matt get me and joel merowitz together <laughs> and uh, i'll be happy out he's my he's my hero uh, Brilliant. I met him a, i've met him a couple of times and uh, he's he's he is without a doubt the most interesting photographer you could talk to i think Brilliant. well norman so, this yeah. has been this has been fantastic thanks no i've been i've enjoyed it um and uh, yeah hopefully oh. we'll, we'll we'll keep in touch Well, thank you to Norman for joining me for this great conversation on the podcast and for telling us all about your journey. I personally found it to be quite inspiring and I hope others will too. Keep up the great work, man. I wanted to continue to encourage listeners to join me over on Nature Photographers Network. NPN is a great place for seeing photographs, receiving and sending critique, learning from your peers, and so much more. NPN has really picked up over the past two months and it's active as ever. I have found myself spending way more time on NPN than Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. It's just the best place on the internet to engage with other photographers about nature photography, and it only costs $49 per year. Just head over to npn.link forward slash fstop to join. Use the code fstop10 for a 10% discount. That's npn.link forward slash fstop. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.